Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Food Movies Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. This is my friend, Jeremy. And we are doing a podcast where we examine the intersection between food and movies. Jer, what is the movie we are doing today? Well, we, we've been kind of looking through the, the previous things we've done. And the most popular podcast session we've done by far has been Goodfellas. It's getting the, the the clips are getting a lot of heat. Uh, people are listening. People are interacting. Um, yeah, shout out to the commenters on TikTok. By yeah. the way, shout out to y'all. Feel free to call me out if I call mayonnaise dairy. That is fair. I will. I will. I'm definitely uh, open to that. I love that. So keep keep That's them right. coming, all five of you. But yeah, we're coachable. We take criticism well. So. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm also not the smartest guy in the world. Um, but because of the success of uh goodfellas we are doing another mob movie we're jumping right back in we're we're crazy like that and we are doing the mob movie the godfather mario <sighs> mario puzzo's the godfather oh my god this is has there any has there been any movie more discussed by heterosexual men than the godfather <laughs> i don't think it's possible <laughs> this is the one. This is this sure. is our whatever our thing is. This is what we like. Yeah. This is yeah. what we watch. This is what we talk about. It's hot. It's hot with our demographics. So that's what we're doing. Um, but also, is there ever been a mob movie discussed in other mob movies or pulled in other mob movies? Like this is in The Sopranos. They talk about The Godfather nonstop. So I mean, not nonstop, but they do it in a few episodes and. Tony's favorite is in the set Godfather two when they go back to Sicily and all that stuff. So um, it's, it's the mob movie that other mob movies are kind of were inspired by in a lot of ways too, but it's very, would you, would you say that the Godfather is the Godfather of mob movies? Uh, Yeah. I don't know if it's the goat, but it's the Godfather for sure. Okay. It's good. Sorry, continue. yeah, no, no. And so I'm, you know, I'm curious to get your take on it because Goodfellas was a very specific type of film to me, you know, based off of a real person. Uh, and it's very Scorsese-esque with the, the pacing. This movie's paced in a completely different way. There's a lot of nuance in it. A lot of really kind of small scenes that we'll, we'll get to and we'll talk about. Um, and it's almost like a movie in three parts. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even more. I mean, there's there are different chapters to this film, like the, you know, Michael not involved. Michael gets involved. Michael goes to Italy, and then Michael's takes over. You know what I mean? Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. But um, so oh, yeah, it's all- yeah, quickly, quickly, quickly to the people at home. The way this uh, podcast is formatted is Jeremy and I will just have our initial thoughts about the movie. Then we will break down every instance of food in the movie chronologically at the very end of the podcast we'll have a wrap-up plus our food awards of the movie Please yeah. Continue, yeah no no of course um and so it's 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 got acts like very distinct acts and that's something that i didn't i in a scorsese movie it's there because writing script writing follows that but it's much more seamless in a scorsese movie this movie it's very clear this is act one this is act two. This is act three. You know, you're coming to a crescendo. Now we're in act four. You know what I mean? So it's a very yeah. kind of, it's a very chapter based film. Uh, but I, let's, let, your thoughts, your initial thoughts. Let's go there. 
Right, right. My initial thoughts. I was a latecomer to the Godfather uh, fandom, I guess. Uh, it's It was one of those movies that took me a while to get around to, and I did like it early on, but um, I've grown to like it. It's one of those movies I've grown to like more and more as I've watched more movies and become a movie fan. But uh, yeah, it's, it's great because it does have those set pieces, like the wedding, the initial opening of the movie is a wedding set piece, which takes about 20 to 30 minutes. And it's like, it's just the wedding part. And then there's the Michael in Italy part. I love those sequences, those those episodes within the movie, which I don't think are done enough. I, I really enjoy those little novelistic kind of kind of uh, things that are done. By the way, I have a uh, YouTube channel called Cinema, Cinema and Sandwiches, where I turn movies into sandwiches. And The Godfather is one of the ones I've done so far. So yeah, I was very fascinated by everything about this movie, the making of it, the movie itself, the movie's legacy, the food in the movie. So many things to talk about. I hope we're not going to, you know, go three hours with this, but there's a, there's a, there's a lot in here. Um, but uh, so early, my, my initial reactions, I would say, and especially now because we're so inundated with these very generic movies on Netflix, like everything right now seems to be almost paint by numbers filmmaking meant for the algorithm. And you can definitely see it in all aspects of filmmaking from the story to the characters, to the cinematography, to the editing. Everything is very generic right now. And so going back to The Godfather, it's such a refreshing thing to see a movie made in a particular way by a particular filmmaker and have very specific structural and stylistic things done. And how, how you can really see a singular vision of a director executing his vision. So shout out to uh, geniuses, autonomous geniuses making movies instead of algorithms making movies with The Godfather. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because this was early uh, Coppola, right? Yes. He this has was... made a couple of low budget kind of uh, independent films, which right. are more more kind of like college hippie movies at the time. Uh, yeah. Complete departure from the Godfather. He'd never done anything with genre based or violence based or anything like that or a big budget base but uh, yeah and it's interesting because he you know we always come back to this with violence he does violence in a way that's ultra disturbing every kill oh, yeah. every kill like the kill where i think is the guy's name's Polly and it's earlier yeah. in it's earlier in the film and um he comes into son to James Con and he's like feeling sick or something he's like oh, I don't know I don't feel so good and he's like, oh, you know, get some of that food in you and maybe have some tea or whatever or have some uh, 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 brandy or something. I'm not going to get too far into this. but um, And then they kill him in the car. But you're so yep. pulled back from it and you're so mm -hmm. far away from it that it, it just almost seems way more savage that way. Yeah, the, 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 the stylistic violence was really incredible. Yeah, uh, they, they they linger a lot. They they don't shy away from the violence. They really lean into it. Yeah, and as we discussed, I think in one of our other podcasts, uh, the how much and how visceral the violence is, it stays with you, and it really does connect you to the movie. So it's an emotional type thing that connects you to the movie um, in a weird in a weird way. It's almost it's almost like. Um, you know, back in the day, like now we're so soft, you know, I mean, back in the day, you know, kids would be initiated into adulthood through these weird hazing rituals and stuff uh, where they would literally scare the crap out of you and 
and they would purposely traumatize you yeah. to be like, this is what the world is. Get it through your head. You're not a kid anymore. Yeah. And we kind of lost that. But now we see it in these movies, though. When you watch these movies, you realize, oh, my God, the, the trauma does something to you on an emotional kind of tribal level, I think, as a person, which we don't really discuss too well. But, yeah, but you you feel the violence, and that's kind of yep. that's one thing in this movie. And and in Goodfellas, there were some scenes that were that way. I think we spoke about it in Goodfellas. There are a couple scenes that are that way. But this mm. movie, every single kill, there's something just yeah, just like it grips you. Um, yeah. and and that's fun. That's a fun way to watch movie because there's a horror element to it, but it's not a horror film. But there, no. it's it's horrific violence, and I think that. Yeah. That really plays well, especially because I think this movie, This correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or Paul, um, this movie was initially like trying to, the, the mob actually, the actual mob tried to shut this down and then they got it made. They, they went to, I watched, there's a TV show about it recently with that guy from Top Gun. Um, yeah, it's called The Offer, yeah. Yeah, the, the Offer. It was actually decent. It gave a good kind of, it gave a good story. Not my favorite TV series, but it was interesting enough. Um, and, and it talked about how uh, the mob was not in a board, but then they got a little, they got their fingers in it and they got a little control. And now they could tell their, their story. Right. Which, which is interesting. Yeah. It was really, yeah. Again, everything about this movie is interesting. The making of it, the movie itself. I, I like, I would encourage people to watch that movie or any other making of the Godfather movies, because there is so many, the characters who make the movie are almost as interesting as the characters in the movie. Yeah. Coppola himself is a, is an, one of the great all time Hollywood characters. Yeah. Uh, the producer, uh, I forget his name, but he's, he's the top gun guy. You're Miles Teller. Miles Teller. <laughs> Um, just just killing it as the producer. Mario Puzo is a great character. Bob Evans is a great character. The guy who actually owns the studio is one of the all-time great characters is uh, uh, that Blue Tor Charlie Blue Tor Yeah, the German fella. The German, yeah. He, he yeah. was one of these uh, kind of uh, finance guys who was into mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. And he always kept – you read about, uh, read, read about him, um, Charlie Blue Torn, because – he was one of he was one of the great capitalists of the world and of that time. He took some kind of like weird uh, I forget what kind of company it was. It, it was a very nondescript company. I think it was, they they made auto parts or something. Like ball bearings. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah. bought that company and then used that company to acquire other companies, yeah. as capitalists will do. You know what I mean? And, and one of them was Paramount Pictures. They they bought it with this company. So yeah, backstory almost as interesting as the actual story. Yeah, and and the other thing to note is that Puzo and Coppola were kind of on similar trajectories. They had done a couple things, and this really brought them into the limelight. Like Puzo had done some terrible books or books that weren't terrible. <laughs> no, they were they were good, but, but not they weren't not, not well. Yeah, yeah, they weren't yeah. well received. So it's two guys who are doing something that they feel is almost pulp, pulp fiction type stuff, and 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 it put them into the stratosphere in that regard, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch my uh, sandwich video, cinema sandwiches, by the way, on YouTube, yeah, uh, I explain, how, I explain how neither one of these guys was interested in making a mob movie. They felt it was beneath them. These guys yeah. were very intellectual people. Uh, and then Puzo was a broke, but uh, highly respected. He, he wanted to be uh, one of these, you know, uh, JD Salinger type guys, William Faulkner type guys 
who was a respected artist and novelist, did that, wrote some great novels, didn't sell any, and then he consciously said, "All right, screw this. I want some money. Yeah. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a book about the mob." And I think the genre sells. You know, mob books sell. And yeah, I mean, as, it, did, it, it worked. It actually worked. You know, he did. It did become this giant success. Coppola, same deal, but in the filmmaking realm, he was making these independent personal movies for hippies and people of his age. Wasn't making any money. Gets offered The Godfather. He's like, didn't want to do it. But he's like, there's money. Let's go. Let's just do it. And that movie changed the trajectory of both of their careers. Yeah. And, it, and it was a complete sellout for both of them. You know? So. Yeah. And also the other, I mean, and, and still to this day, as we learned with Goodfellas, it's still popular. People still want to yeah. watch it. Our five, yeah. our, we got, we went from one to five viewers on that movie alone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's The Godfather, people. If you haven't watched it, for God's sakes, watch it. Watch, watch it. the goddamn Godfather. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just quickly before we get into the movie itself, I just wanted to comment on the many technical kind of um, innovations of The Godfather. So in the 70s, mob movies were not very authentic. There were a lot of a lot, a lot of these movies were cast with predominantly Jewish actors because that's what was around. An ethnic actor was considered you know, there was a lot of Jewish actors who played ethnic, but not a lot of Italian actors. So that was one thing. With this movie, they re they really, in the making of it, there was another movie, I forget what it was called. I think it was called The Family or something, which was similar. It was about an Italian mob family, but it was, it was, it was cast with mostly Jewish actors and it was not very authentic. And they felt that the reason it failed was because of the lack of authenticity. So they really, the, the, the modus operandi of this movie was to, we want to make this as Italian as possible. This is an Italian movie with a capital I. So the only reason Coppola got this movie is because he was one of the very few Italian directors, actually, who had some experience at the time. So yeah. uh, Coppola got the movie, uh, got the directing gig because he was Italian, some of that uh, Italian. And he kind of, Coppola's a very socially savvy guy. And he, and he kind of figured out early on that that's the reason he got the movie. And that was the direction they were going in. Yeah. So his thought was to make this as authentically Italian as possible in every way he could possibly do it. And he did that with the casting. He did that in the script writing. He did that with all of the tiny details, which we're going to get into. An Italian person of that time would be able to pick it out and be like, oh my God, that is the most Italian thing, most authentic thing I've ever seen in my life. So... Mm -hmm. And there, there, so the yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say there are a lot of food details that we'll talk about that are very unique to the Italian experience. Now, neither of us are Italian, um, nope. but and, and so anyone who is Italian, chime in if we're wrong. Um, but there are a lot of things that hopefully will will come across that are very uniquely Italian um, th that are interesting. But what what I I'm going to let you I'm going to let you finish. Uh, and then I, I, I wanted to kind of jump in on that. So, sorry, go ahead. And the only other thing I wanted to mention was this, uh, this was a, uh, a technical achievement in cinematography. Uh, the cinematographer is a guy named Gordon Willis. He's known, his nickname was the Prince of Darkness because he was famous for lighting his movies in the, the lowest light you could possibly get while still getting an image. And so it's extremely risky back in the day. Nowadays, everything, you can see it on a monitor, what you're shooting. Yeah. Back in the day, there was no monitors. All you had was a light meter. So you really had to trust your, your cinematographer to, to know what he was doing. 
and he really took a lot of risks with low light cinematography in this, and it sh- and it worked though. It's, it's oh. incredibly beautiful, beautifully shot. It's so it's so atmospheric, um, and yeah. that and that really helps too. And the um, you know it tells that especially in the initial scenes when you're you know this the day of my daughter's wedding, you know that kind of it, it's dark, it's smoky, oh, iconic it's, though. Yeah, it's very iconic and it's very interesting. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned that they. You know, that whole thing about Jewish actors playing Italian. Nowadays, that's a big hot button thing. You know, if there's a people want to see themselves represented in film. I'm not going to make a political statement here, but it's funny how that popped up back then. They wanted an Italian cast. They wanted Italian people. Obviously, you couldn't get all Italian people, but you get James Caan. Yeah, you get as many as you can. Robert Duvall, is he Italian? I don't think so. He doesn't play Italian. He plays Irish. Oh, true, right. He's he's adopted. He's adopted. Right, right, right. Um, And James Caan isn't Italian. No, he's Jewish. He's one of your people. Good man. Um, But but, it's just, it's an interesting parallel to now when it's, you know, they put Matt Damon in a a movie about the Great Wall of China and everyone goes nuts, right? So it's, it's very, I mean, Matt, I'm not a big Matt Damon guy anyway. I go nuts because I don't like Matt Damon. But uh, <laughs> either way. Hey, Interest- come at us, Matt Damon. See what you have to say about that. Go ahead. Yeah. Comment below, Matt. Da- if you're Matt Damon and you're offended by this, comment in the comments. A- any Matt Damon is not even the Matt Damon. Go ahead and make a comment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get in the food. <laughs> All right. That is the end of the introduction. And we shall dive into the food of the Godfather chronologically. So, we open in one of the most iconic set pieces of any movie, let alone any gangster movie, which is the first 20 minutes. Everything is set up by the wedding of Don Vito Corleone, Marlon Brando, his daughter, Connie. She's getting married. And the entire first act of the film takes place in and around the wedding, which for me, I thought it was a genius way to introduce all of the characters, of which there are many, especially in the family. Yeah. One, it introduces all the characters. Two, it, it creates a sense of authenticity of Italian, what Italian life was like, because it's extremely Italian wedding. Yeah. And another, yeah. And another way it's, uh, shoot, I had another thing to say, but I forgot it. Oh, no, it, it sets up what the film is going to be about. Yeah. So it's a great introduction to the plot, the characters, and the setting, and the ethnicity, and everything like that. So. Yeah. Sets and up- it's... Uh, Good. Sorry. Sets up Don Corleone very nicely as his, mm-hmm. you know, that first guy that comes in about the daughter and the second guy that comes in about uh, some, whatever else he came in. And then the 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 singer there comes in about what the singer. Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine, who's Frank Sinatra, let's be real. Definitely um, Frank Sinatra. Comes in about that. And you get to see how measured Brando's character is and how it really sets his character up. It sets up Luca Brazzi's character very well. Sets up Michael very well, um, mm-hmm. and even Sonny and uh, the lawyer Duvall's character. They, yeah. they, they get, you, you kind of all you get the structure of the family without being like, "Hey, Sonny, you're the underboss. Good for you." And oh, yeah. they, the only one they do it with is Duvall. They keep like a consigliere, consigliere, consigliere. Yeah, um, but. Just it really does set up that structure of who's who and who's trusted and who's loved and who's not and why they're not loved and and who uh, Don Corleone is and with the world around him. So very interesting. 
Yeah, and it, and it is, uh, I've been did a little bit of research on it, and it is very much in sort of the, the Greek mythological tradition of you have the king, who's Don Corleone, and you have all of his sons. And it's the downfall of a king and to figure out which one of his sons will take his place. So yeah. as much as it is, it is modern, it's still based in a lot of uh, traditional Greek storytelling, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, And, and he, he got the whole idea of the Don having to... Uh, grant favors on his daughter's wedding. That's not actually an Italian thing. He got that actually from, uh, I believe, Greek tradition, like ancient Greek tradition. That was a thing with the with the uh, what do you call them, Caesars. You could go to a Caesar and do that's, that. That's Caesar would be Roman, correct? Oh, sorry, yeah, it's Greek Roman. I'm not sure, but he got it from from all those old myths of of ancient Greek and Rome. One of the two, Greek or Roman. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, interesting. <clears throat> the, the the ancient Greek tragedy. This has elements of that now that you mention it. Yeah, so, yeah, a little bit, little bits here and there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So at minute ten at the wedding, there's a scene where a couple of extras are throwing these sandwiches that have been wrapped in wax paper to each other, and in the commentary, the director's commentary, which I listened to, Coppola put those in specifically because that's what actually happens in Italian weddings. You feed people with sandwiches that have been wrapped. That's that's what's served and. People would throw the sandwiches to each other, and Coppola used to call them football sandwiches because that's what would happen. You say you're going to some, hey, give me two, uh, give me two prosciuttos, or give me one gabagool, and the guy would just throw you a sandwich. So, mm. so the football sandwiches is something that could only be done and only known by a true Italian person who has actually been to one of these weddings. Yeah, I did. So the football sandwiches. Yeah, there you go. You're educating me on the food. That's great. Um, and this was the scene where they, they're the one guy gets told to go and make sure the FBI aren't dicking around, and then the guy goes gabagool, a couple gabagool over there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, exactly right. Yeah. And gabagool is for those of you that aren't aware. It's kind of it. It got a lot of uh, play in in the Sopranos, and it became kind of a shtick from the Sopranos as well. Uh, but it's legitimately an Italian uh, deli meat. Like it's a sliced deli meat. I think it's a cured or, or like, tell me if you know better than I do. It might be like an. I, I actually don't know. What, I don't know what gabagool. I it, thought it was a made up word, like a slur to say to Italians. I didn't realize it was. A no, it's thing. A, it's a meat. It's a meat, and okay. it, it, it's a, it's it's. I forget what it is. I don't. I'm not sure if it's a com. Like you know how the in so in Italian delis you have like prosciutto and uh guanciale and all those like really cured porks that are that are mortadella mo- though. mortadella uh, yeah. and then some of them are like almost like bologna or bologna or whatever you want to call it where they're like mortadella is kind of like bologna. yeah like it's like a particle meat um mm. I, I don't think gabagool is that i think gabagool is like a sliced like closer to prosciutto but i'm not 100 okay. percent sure it might be a beef kind of or pork kind of sliced Piece. If you know, let us know. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on anyone who actually knows what gabagool is. Um, but it's delicious. I've had it. Um, I'm just not really clear what it is. I thought it was a great way to just express authenticity because to this day I have not seen that in any mob movie or any movie. I've not seen those sandwiches being thrown around ever. That's the only no. time I've ever seen that. And I love specificity in movies, whether it's to do with food or anything. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and also at the wedding, they're giving, once again, like in God, uh, Goodfellas, they're giving a boost, uh, the the bag, and the one guy is like, oh, $35,000, you know, if this was anyone else's wedding, 
God, what I would do with that money. But it's that same, it's almost like that scene in Goodfellas took elements from this wedding scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also noticed that they had a lot of fruit punch as drinks and they had a lot of fruit, like grapes and things like that on the tables. So, so um, that seems like a cool wedding, man. That's, I, I think that's a great, cool wedding. Sorry. A lot of that, what, like in the, you know, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Luca Brazzi or, or the other bigger fella. Um, he gives him a pitcher and he's drinking from it. Yeah. That's wine with fruit in it and ice in it. Okay. That's like a, like, okay. red, it's an Italian table wine um, with fruit and, and they just drink it like that. It's more refreshing. Okay. I guess. Uh, it looks delicious. I, I would definitely love it. Hey, listen, if you're Italian, you got a wedding coming up, invite us, man. I want to, I want to take part. Yeah, but it looked like a sangria or something, right? Which is a Spanish yeah. thing, but it almost had a sangria element. But I think a lot of that, they're drinking wine out of cups, which is very authentic. Like they're not drinking yeah. it out of a glass. They're drinking it from a cup because that's kind of an Italian thing too. I never liked wine glasses. I feel like they're too delicate. I can't really, you know, gesture the way I want to with a wine glass. It's a little too dainty. So maybe I'll start doing it. Yeah, get a cup. Use a cups. mug or whatever. It's, it's, that's, it's like in uh, when we did Annie Hall, they, they were t drinking wine on the date out of the cups. The Italians, they'll drink it. You know, especially at a celebration, you got a lot of cups, you got a lot of wine. It's not necessarily mm. great wine. It's table wine, which in maybe a quick explanation of that. In Italy, it's an old world wine country. The wine is stellar. It's big. Italian wines are usually very big, except for Chianti, which um, is a lighter red. But a lot of big reds, a lot of interesting white wines, um, different uses of oak than the rest of the world. Really kind of interesting wines. But it, it there's distinction. So you've got, and I'm I'm not 100% sure on the hierarchy, but you've got your basic table wine. You've got your Reserva, your Classico, you know, all your different things that are, you know, and they're all different Italian words that lead up to, you know, the best wines in Italy. Um, and this wine at a wedding, you're serving hundreds of people, would be table wine um, that uh, is very kind of inexpensive, still good, still, you know, good quality. But that's why they're icing it down. They're putting fruit in it. They're making it, you know, it's drinkable. Everyone's having, it's party wine. It's not, they're not going yeah. out and getting the best wine. No, you put some, put some sugar in there, some fruits and, you know, some fruits so the kids can drink it. You know, let's have a party, people. Let's do that's this. It, yeah. yeah. So, love it. so that's a, you know, not a crash course on Italian wine because that would take years. But um, just a quick idea of how Italian wine works. Table wine is kind of the lowest form. And this there are other places in Europe that do this, but table wine mm -hmm. being the kind of what you'd serve at a wedding. Um, still good, but not reserve enough. Do you have any ideas about white wine in Italy? Because I'm a white wine guy. Do you have any, any, any they have, about that? They have good white wines. Um, mm -hmm. The thing about Italy and France and a lot of the old world producers is the grapes they use are similar to what you would see in the U.S. or in, in France or in, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, in Canada or Australia, you know, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon. But in Italy, they're called different things. Um, and then in Italy, they use a bunch of different grapes as well. Uh, there's, you know, there are wines that are called Barolo, Tempranillo. Um, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, a good Italian white wine, and it's not coming to mind of name. But they name it by region. So Chianti, Chianti is a red wine. Chianti is a region in Italy. It's a wine region. Um, but they only grow 
and I'm I'm gonna get this wrong, but they're they only grow Barolo, and it's a lighter. It's like a Pinot Noir. It's a lighter kind of grape, and I may not be right on Barolo or Tempranillo or one of those. But and then there are there's Tuscany, which grows you know bigger, bolder wines. Uh, white wine. They do make good white wines, and off the top of my head, uh, I'm forgetting what they're called. All right, uh, Jeremy will get back to me. I will get back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're into white wine, Jer- we'll, we'll put Jeremy's pick for the white wine after the show in the show notes. Or we'll edit this out and you guys will never know what happened. Um, or that'll happen. We're not really <laughs> sure. All right. Uh, great job uh, discussing Italian wines from Jer. Appreciate that, man. One of the more, actually, every every scene is famous in this movie, which is tough to say that this is a famous scene because there's so many famous scenes. But there's a whole plot where Johnny Fontaine wants to get this particular role in Las Vegas, and he's not getting it. He's being blocked by the studio head named Jack Waltz, I believe, who's based on Jack Warner. Uh, I haven't done all the uh, character breakdowns of where they came from, but I think that's where uh, Johnny Fontaine is supposed to be Frank Sinatra. Jack Waltz is supposed to be Jack Warner. Correct me if I'm wrong, internet, but I think that's how it goes. So, minute 31, Tom Hagen, who is the adopted son of Vito Corleone. I'm not officially adopted. He was a street kid. He just took him in. There was no adoption papers here. He's the lawyer. But Tom Hagen. He is the conciliary. He's the lawyer. He's the fixer. Um, and he is not Italian. He's Irish German. So, he always feels a little bit like an outsider. He's played by mm-hmm. Robert Duvall. Great Robert Duvall. He's not minute a 31, he, Wouldn't be a made man. You can't be made no. unless you're from Italy or Sicily. No, no, no. Great. Played fantastically by Duvall. Yeah. You know? I just, mean, just Ro- very, yeah. Robert Duvall's just like the coolest dude. Big, yeah. big yeah. Duvall fan. Yeah. You can you can tell just by his body language and the way he moves that he knows his role in this family. He knows he's part of it, but he's also kind of an outsider. Like, don't overstep. That's his whole modus thing. It's like he's... Whatever you're doing, do not overstep. Remember, you're a guest in this family. You're not really a member of this family. Yeah. But uh, So he's used by Don Vito to go see Jack Waltz at Minute 31, who's the studio head. They have an elaborate dinner where Tom is trying to convince Waltz to put Johnny Fontaine in the movie. This triggers Jack Waltz, and he rants about how much he hates Johnny Fontaine because he had some kind of affair with a starlet that Waltz was grooming. I won't say grooming, but maybe. He ruined her. Yeah, grooming might not be the right word, but she yeah. she was supposed to be the big next big thing. And he kind of, he stopped yeah. her and then they didn't, they didn't, uh, it didn't work out for her. So yeah, back in the, back in the pre Me Too days of Hollywood, a studio head would basically just pick a lady he likes, uh. bring her into the wing, have a lot of sex with her, and then move her up the ranks in a very toxic uh, way. Yeah. It's a dirt, dirty Johnny business. Fon- yeah. Johnny Fontaine is incensed about, uh, sorry, uh, Jack, Jack, Jack Waltz is incensed by Johnny Fontaine, does not want to help him. And he starts yelling at Tom Hagen. Who, they're both in this giant, like rich person dinner table in this enormous di- dining room. And why we mentioned this before in, in the French Dispatch. And while Jack Waltz is yelling at Tom Hagen about how much he hates Johnny Fontaine, Tom is just calmly eating his food, like like he's being read the weather or something. He is not phased at all. Did, and I believe it's steaks. Yeah, it looked like steak to me. It looked like steak to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, that's a bold move. Eating a steak while getting just while you've upset somebody 
Well, once again, it's that same mentality, and we keep we keep coming back to it. And it, and I think it's a deliberate thing in film, is the eating while things are blowing up. It just shows that you're not phased by the world yeah. around you. So now, like I like we said before, anytime I know things are about to fall apart for me, like if I have any inkling I'm going to get fired, I'm cooking an elaborate meal. And I'll mm-hmm. sit on that Zoom call and just eat a fettuccine Alfredo or something bananas. Yep. Um, yep. You're gonna you're gonna hear the pepper grinder. Yeah. Well, oh. things are. Happening. Oh, I'm gonna get a six foot pepper mill, and just yeah. while I'm while they're firing me, I'm just gonna grind that pepper. Just the loudest food possible, too. If it's a call, yeah. you really wanted to disrespect them in every way possible. It's basically <laughs> saying "f you" without actually saying it. <laughs> the lo- the lobster, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Sucking out the. <laughs> oh god! We, someone has to do that. If if, if if any of our four subscribers is actually getting fired, go in there with a goddamn lobster. Please, it, please, please do it for me. We'll, Do us a favor. We'll bring you on as guest star on one episode. It'll be your yep. fi- it'll be your five minutes of not fame. But yep. um, we want to hear that story. Eating while yep. getting fired. Eating while just the world around is crumbling uh, is mm-hmm. is now the most badass move uh, ever. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I did notice that there was a ketchup bottle on the table on. Jack Waltz's side of the table, yeah, so, which makes me think that this guy was not born with money. This guy actually rose to his position through scrappiness, which a lot of the early film studio heads actually were. They were just street guys yeah. who made it through pure will to get into. A lot of people don't know that the early Hollywood was not considered to be a classy business to get into. It was considered a low class business, which is why a lot of uh, Jewish immigrants ended up being studio heads because they're just about the, like immigrants in general. We're just trying to make some money and we yeah. will get in wherever the established um, elites are not taking part. They will go there. And that's what Hollywood was. It was this new technology. It was considered low class because entertainment, the way we think of carnies right now is the way entertainers were thought of back then. That's a we, good they weren't thought of. Yeah. They weren't thought of these, these and they invented Hollywood glamour to get rid of that image of what entertainers used to be thought of. And so this Jack Walls, I think the fact that he has ketchup on the table is a very clear sign that he is one of these scrappy early studio heads who just clawed his way from the streets and just made it through sheer will and intelligence. So here's a question. Uh, Donnie Trump likes ketchup with his steak. You think he's doing that intentionally to convey an image or do you think he actually likes ketchup with his steak? That is a tough one, man. Um, very, like he likes, here's the thing with Trump is he's supposed to be like his father made the money in the family. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, Donnie is not a self-made millionaire. Yeah. No, no. So the way this is supposed to go is, and I've heard this before where people have asked how, how many generations does it take for you to not, to no, to no longer be new money. Yeah. And it's usually three generations. So Trump's kids, they should not be eating ketchup with their steaks. Donnie is still one generation removed. So he probably saw his father eating ketchup with a steak and he imparted that. By the time his kids, he has kids, that should be gone from your legacy. Otherwise, you will be flagged as new money. So 
New money. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But so, yes. so we're saying that this film guy is not, he's new money. He's, he's a self-made kind of guy. And that, yeah. ca- that ketchup signifies that. Ah, that's really, that's, yeah, I, that's a nice, subtle little move there. Ketchup on steak. I, I th- ketchup on steak yeah. is disgusting. Yeah. We're not in favor of ketchup no. on steak. And if you eat ketchup on steak, um, don't talk to us. We don't want to talk to you. Which is funny because, I, you know, every if if it's a different cut of steak, I'll throw a little barbecue sauce down every now and again, depending on my mood. But I I don't eat I don't usually eat my steaks with any sauce. But every now and again, it's nice to have a little barbecue sauce. And barbecue sauce is like just a couple hits of something away from ketchup, right? It, it's it's oh. a ketchup adjacent for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's definitely ketchup. Yeah. It's it's ketchup's dirty cousin. Um, and, uh, so, you know, some people may, some people actually frown on barbecue sauce with steak. I like salt, pepper, olive oil. That's how I've always had my steaks, but you're not, you're not a big steak guy. Do you? Not huge, but I've been getting into it lately when I've been making it right. Yeah. But it just takes so much time and there's so much money involved. So. Oh yeah. uh, Steak's not a cheap, not a cheap party, but, um, do you, would you, are you a sauce guy? Not a sauce guy? Like, Nope. No, you nothing. You, you just want salt, salt and pepper, and then sides. I don't put any taste. Sauce you want to taste the meat. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Do you do A one? You ever done A one? Yeah, I like A one. I'm a I'm an HP guy actually. There's A one and HP. I like HP a little bit more, but I also like A one. But I'm, a, I'm more of an A the brown sauce I call it. Which oh hey I should eat it then. That sounds right up my alley. It, so. it that's a UK thing to put some brown sauce on it. All right. Well, I might try the brown sauce just to because I'm very pro brown. Yeah, know, but so also pro brown. brown. That's why I eat the sauce. Yeah, absolutely. I should have. You know what? I really messed up. There is a university called Brown University. I didn't. You should have gone there. Ah, that's okay. Do you know how much awesome it would be for me to walk around with a Brown University shirt on? That with, would have been with your Cleveland Browns hat. Well, I wouldn't overdo it. If I had the shirt, I wouldn't wear the hat. So minute 36, and I also got this from the audio commentary. And I, and I was going to ask you about this, actually, because I couldn't figure out what it was. I could only understand Coppola saying it. Yeah. So Don Corleone meets, Don Corleone meets with Salazzo. This is the whole crux. This is where the movie, the plot actually takes off. Because yeah. Salazzo is a, a capo, or he's one of the lieutenants of um another rival mob family there's peace within the mob family there's five mob the five families. Families. peace so far yeah there's peace right now but there is a push to get into narcotics because there's so much money involved and don Vito feels that it's an unethical thing for them to get into narcotics because it hurts children and it hurts poor people he's not in favor of it, but the, he's feeling a lot of pressure from the other mob families to get mm-hmm. into it because it, it's it's quickly becoming more lucrative than even their traditional gambling prostitution that kind of yeah. the kind of traditional rackets that they have so salazzo is a uh he is a lieutenant of tataglia actually yeah which i don't know yeah. if if i don't know if they made up the five families or what that what's going on there i guess because corleone is not one of the actual five families but i i thought i didn't know if he was coming over from sicily or he no because he was a new york guy wasn't he, he had that kind of accent so Maybe yeah, yeah, he was yeah. just one of the other families, but he was, his reputation was he was a big drug guy. He was really, you know, trying to get the drug trade going. Um, yeah. But, but food wise, they're drinking something. Yeah. So, so 
Don is drinking, I'm trying to remember how to pronounce it. I think it's called Anjazat or Anjazat. Does that sound familiar to you? No. Um, I it, it looked like a clear, like a, a, like a buka, a zambuka or something like that. Um, no, well, well Cop- Coppola mentions it in the director's commentary. And, yeah. it's, and he specifically wanted that particular drink because that is something that Italian families often make on their own. Oh, interesting. bottle on their own with their own family label. Interesting. And that and Coppola specifically wanted a bottle of that, but it's it's called something that I, I even googled it. I couldn't figure it out. It's it sounds similar to Anjazad or Anjazad. Yeah. No, the thing is, yeah. is this movie catches me flat footed because, as we said earlier, it's very specific. Uh, this one, I'm very curious if it's a if it's a like an aperitif. The Italians are very into their digestifs and aperitifs. Um, Zambuca being, I believe Zambuca is kind of big with them. Um, and is that though? I don't, I'm not sure. Shout out to Italians as an entire country of foodies. Yeah. God bless the whole country of Italy, man. They, they take their food seriously yeah. and I respect them for that. And they take, like, man. and they have the, the, like, like this and, um, like with their courses, secundi and, uh, you know, primi and all that stuff. Um, it's it's like learning a different language and a lot of people mm. a lot of people shy away from it a lot of people don't like myself admittedly i know i know italian food i like to cook italian food but if you put me in italy and told me to go through it as an italian does i'd be just as lost as as anyone else i also love how italians um they're big into gardening. If you ever, yeah. most people who are in Italian homes, their backyard is filled with just vegetables. They love making their tomato sauce every year. They plant their tomatoes at a specific time, depending on their particular region. It's a whole big thing anyway. That's a, Italians, it's a big family so. thing, the tomato sauce, making of tomato sauces. And the Nonas sit and they control it. and they It's like an assembly line. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I've seen it done. It is. They all have that machine that they put the the, the tomato the press into. machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Interesting. Like Moving on, that was Don Corleone meeting Salazzo, who is petitioning Don Corleone to get into the drug game. He gives him this entire negotiated deal of percentages and whatnot. Don Corleone does not want to do it, which serves to be a decision that that um, sends him on the path to doom. Anyway, that's the inciting incident. And because of that that scene, minute 45, Don Corleone is at the market and he's buying oranges. Yeah. There's and a lot while of he's, yeah. There's sorry. a lot of oranges and fruit in this movie. Um actually the first time you see food, and I don't know if we called it, but at the wedding there was somebody eating an orange. Like right yeah, off on the, the table the, there's yeah, there's fruit on the tables. So. Right off the bat. So an orange, there's something with an orange here. I'm not sure I'm not sure if there's a symbolic thing. Um, I don't like oranges. Oh, yeah. Hot, you got beef with oranges? Hot take? No, no beef. I just don't like. It. I like orange juice. I don't like the texture of an orange. It's a texture thing. Yeah. Oh, like the little fi- fibers and things like that. Uh, it's not fun to eat. I don't get any enjoyment. It's like a hassle to eat it. Really. Yeah, I love it. The little sections that you can just. Oh, I love how look. I love how organized it is. I think Very that's organized. fantastic. There's you know there's yeah. it's a whole party. Um, mm-hmm. It pairs well with everything. Like I cook with orange, 
because it's a citrus okay. and it's a very good flavor. I like the flavor of orange. I don't like the just the way an orange is. It's a fair enough. It's fair a, enough. it's an annoying fruit to me. I will say I don't think I've ever met someone who has not liked oranges or or has admitted it. So that's something okay. uh, unique about you. There you I'm go. I'm putting it out there. Now it's actually good that you don't like oranges because buying oranges proves to be the downfall of Don Corleone as he is distracted and in his distraction in buying his produce, specifically oranges, gunmen show up and gun him down yeah. in the back. Great scene. And this is actually the shooting of Don Corleone at the market sets the tone in what Coppola, how Coppola, Coppola orchestrates violence throughout yeah. the rest of the movie in that every scene of violence is thought through and designed. It's yeah. an, it's not just, I'm going to get some coverage and do it. It's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to design this a specific way. It's going to be paced a specific way. I have shots that I want to get. I have, I want the characters to do things at specific times. It's an extremely well-designed scene and it ends with Don Corleone getting shot in the back and falling to the ground and the oranges from the overhead shot spill onto the ground in a great graphic, which I think shows how this incident has now caused the world, his world, to fall into chaos. These, This stuff, everything is a mess. People are running around screaming and these oranges, which were oranges in a bag, neatly to be eaten, have now spilled off. And it creates a great visual with him on the ground while the oranges are spilling on the ground, symbolizing the chaos which his life has now been thrust into. Yeah, it's interesting because we go back to the wedding and somebody's holding the orange or the orange is there and his world is in his hands. It's everything's in control. And this is where control now starts to, there's a very kind of interesting food. If I overthinking hat on, let's, let's go. The world is kind of falling away from Michael, from Sonny, from mm. Robert Duvall. Uh, you know, everything, it, everything's about to change. And this yes. is we're we're getting into the story and the orange being there, food being there is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Good, good, so, good use of food. Amazing use of food. The scenes build on each other. And because of the shooting of Don Corleone, his normal driver and bodyguard called in sick that day. And so his uh, schmuck son, Fredo, yeah. fumbles his pistol and does is not able to shoot back at the gunman or protect his father like he's supposed to. This sets off alarm bells with everyone in the Corleone family. Right. And at minute 56, minute 56, the driver who was supposed to be there is Polly. Polly. Clemenza grabs Polly and another henchman, and he's running errands throughout the day in New York City. They pick up Clemenza at his house, and Coppola, it's it's not in the script. Coppola said, and just this is this is why you've got to let filmmakers be genius. Genius filmmakers be geniuses. Let them genius people. Coppola said to the lady who plays his wife, uh, just say don't forget the cannoli because. He knows in his youth, his father used to bring home cannolis. And a lot of times when his father would leave the house, his wife would say, oh, bring this home, bring that home. So when he when Clemenza, when he, Clemenza leaves, his wife says, don't forget the cannoli. And as he's going through his day, going from this place to that place, he's lulling Polly into a false sense of security mm. by thinking this is just a normal day. They're just doing normal things. At a certain point, uh, Clemenza asked them to pull over in a fairly deserted road uh, next to a wheat a field wheat field yeah which i don't know how many wheat fields i guess in the 40s there probably were a few 
wheat fields between New York and wherever they Brooklyn or Jersey or where they were going. But yeah, yeah. Um, and Clemenza gets out of the car to, t- uh, to urinate. While he's urinating, we hear two gunshots. Lampone, his driver, has shot Paul. Paulie. Well, you see it yeah. from from a very big distance. And what was interesting is when they get in the car before, he, he says, don't sit behind me. Sit over there because that's a mob thing. And you see that in a ton of other mob movies. Sitting behind a guy, they get the wire or, you know, shot in the head or something like that. So that's interesting. Cannoli, and I love that, that addition at the end where he's just like, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Um, exactly. Which is one of the most famous lines in the yeah. movie. And cannolis. It, was, it came from an improvisation about food. Do you like cannolis? I've only had one. And I didn't actually like it. It's like the Italian. To the, me, the shell. The shell is too. It's weird. I don't know, something about the sh- yeah. It's like a crispy shell with a. It's like a cream injected. It's like an ecla- It's like an eclair with no chocolate and hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the shell. The shell is too deep fried. And it's it's too much for me. I feel like it's a little too much i i'm not a big dessert guy uh i don't mind them uh, I, mm-hmm. I there's specific desserts i enjoy cannoli is not one of them uh but i get it i get why mm-hmm. it's the same with an eclair i get why it's just not my thing like, the, the cream filled craziness is is bananas but i feel like the cannoli and the eclair are old world desserts that inspired things like the boston cream donut or the yep. jelly filled donut like this is yep. a this is an OG food that inspired new kind of foods. Uh, or it's an American-based food that maybe they don't even have cannolis in Italy. Please comment below. Uh, oh, they, they do. They do. They I've, do. I've investigated. They do, yeah. Oh, okay. Very interesting, though. Great scene. Great food commentary to drive the story. But just a subtle throwaway that actually turned out to be fantastic. It's, it's And we talk about bookending food scenes all the time. Great yeah. bookend to this little segment where, right. where it's a journey to kill this guy. Yeah. Starts off with saying, don't forget the cannolis. Ends off with, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Take the gun, because he wants the cannolis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, also, if if I'm ever around any mob people, and I'm driving somewhere or anything, and they say, oh, no, don't sit there, sit there, I'm running. Yeah, you're I'm getting, not sticking around. You're, you're, getting, getting, you're getting whacked. Like, even Goodfellas is like, yeah, come on, sit up front. Yeah. Yeah. No, not gonna happen. No. Like, uh, like, what's her name, Karen? Uh, when De Niro's like saying, "Hey, just, just go in there. Just go in there." Whatever nope. mob people are nope. te- telling you where to go, don't yeah. go there. Go the other way. No. Get out of there uh, and call your local police, and hopefully they are not on the payroll. Yeah. Don't don't ever sit where some mob guy tells you to sit <laughs> ever. No, you're gonna die. You're definitely gonna die. That's not gonna be good. Yeah, so great cannoli scene, and it's one of the most iconic food line deliveries. I don't even, uh, people who have never seen The Godfather, they know that line, leave the gun, take the cannolis. Leave so the gun, take it, the cannolis. It's incredible how food can kind of interject itself into, I guess, popular culture with a throwaway line like that. Because I didn't even know what a cannoli was until this movie. I don't think most people did. Yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, cannolis are... Very, very interesting. Uh, I like. The I cream. wish I liked them. I, I really like wish the, I liked. Them. I like the cream. You're right. It's the shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a shell. But like, they're so cool that I wish I was the guy who liked them. So yeah. I can say, you know, I ate some cannolis last night. They were fantastic. Yeah, and it the sounds way, cool when you say it, that cannoli. Yeah, I think you could say it with a bit of an the accent. Cannoli. 
Yeah, it's a cannoli. So moving on after that, minute 58, things have been shaken up. Don Corleone is in the hospital. The family is in a bit of a power vacuum because Don Corleone can't call the shots anymore. Sonny has now taken over. He's kind of calling the shots, but Sonny is a hothead. He's he's very strong. He's very assertive. He's very alpha. He is the the oldest son, but he his weakness is that he he's too emotional. He yeah. doesn't think before he acts. And, and they say is, it's yeah. just business. It's not personal. It's just business. And that's kind of how the mobsters justify their abhorrent behavior. It's just business. It's not personal. Yeah, that's how sociopaths justify doing terrible things yeah well it's just business what do you want from me you know it's oh. like uh but uh, at minute 58 this is actually an interesting scene again because of uh something i was like the director's commentary from coppola was talking about this scene so at minute 58 after paulie's murder michael's sitting in the courtyard of his family's home he's called in to take a phone call and there's a bunch of dudes in there just going to town on a bunch of pasta yeah Oh, sorry, they're not eating yet. They're, they're making the pasta. Clemenza yeah, is making the pasta sauce while the dudes are just kind of hanging around. Michael comes in. He's on the phone with his current, I believe, fiance, Kay. Okay. And he's, she, this is where their relationship starts unraveling. He, she keeps saying, why can't you say you love, why can't you say it back? And he just refuses to do it. Right. Because I think spiritually, when his father has died, his path has now changed and he can sense that. And so he's kind of distancing some distancing himself from Kay, who is a, a a remnant of the legitimate world, which he was trying to be a part of. Right. And even so, at the wedding, even at the wedding, he's like, that's them. I'm me. Right. Like it, he separates himself uh, from that. So they're trying to keep that delineation up until this exact point. Exactly. So. Um, so Don Vito Corleone, Brando, this is how Kings move, by the way. This is how high level executive type people move, but it's, he does it with his family in that he's built up this, this massive, this massive, um, I guess, organization, this, 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 this organized crime organization. It, 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 pull, it brings in a lot of money. It has created a lot of wealth for his family, but here's the thing. He knows that he can't, leave the crime life that he has begun and that is now leading so he has to leave it to somebody and his whole plan is that Sonny is the person who will take over the crime side of the family but he wants his family to go legitimate eventually and that's where Michael comes in Michael's the youngest Fredo is a schmuck he can't do anything he can't trust him with anything he's just a party boy he's useless so Michael is being groomed I hate using the word groomed by the way but Michael is being trained to become a legitimate member of society by going to law school, being in the Marine Corps. He yep. wants him to become a senator or a governor, someone legitimately powerful in the straight person's, straight legitimate people's world. We learn more about this in the second Godfather. We're not going to go there today. But a lot of Italians, come. why the mob happened was Italians came to America there's a lot of, as immigrants, there's a lot of competition and they banded together and they created these groups. These Sicilians created these groups uh, that you know, protected each other, took care of each other. It started in a very noble place and then it spiraled to what it is. But, um, and, and so that that's interesting that, but it was in order to give the next generation, this is what any immigrant 
culture does is they do the jobs, whatever jobs, in order to give their next of kin, their next generation, a better life. However, yes. in the mob, there's always seems to be one son that's kind of going to be the heir apparent and one son, which now we're going back to Ratatouille here, which may be a libertarian element. Um, <laughs> one son that's the heir apparent and one son that's supposed to go on and do great things. So he had it all planned out. One son would take over the family crime business. The other son would go legitimate. And one generation after that, hopefully they would be completely removed from crime and be a legitimate business somehow, or a legitimate family somehow. And this, I, I saw, a par I'm not sure if you know this, but in, in English literature, there's a style of novel called the Bildungsroman, which is a German word. It's basically a fancy word for a coming of age story, but it has specific kind of rules and character sets and whatnot. And I think Michael is going, this is this story is a Bildungsroman for Michael in that he starts off as an innocent and then he goes off into the world and the world basically slaps him around. He loses his innocence, but he becomes a man. It's a coming of age thing. Yeah. And he's, and, and you can see a lot of parallels with Michael's story. And then one of them is his, is with Kay and the, the, the two characters, the two women in his life, which is Kay and then uh, Apollonia in Italy. These are two archetypes in the Bildungsroman, where usually there's a kind of a, a similarly innocent lady in your life in your when you're growing up, and then you go off into the world and meet a more mature, sophisticated lady who kind of teaches you the ways of sexuality. Who has and she has dark hair, and then you come home again, learning having been experienced and becoming a man, and you go back to the innocent who is who you knew as a child. It's kind of reversed this way because Kay is sort of like the the innocent. No, no, sorry. Kay is the more mature woman, and that's who he starts with. Then he goes to Italy and marries Apollonia, who's she seems to be a virgin from all intents and purposes, and she was only like eighteen years old. And so, his relationship with the two women is kind of turned on its head. The Bildungsroman structure from from novels, and his journey is very Bildungsroman. So, very well, interesting from Michael, or is it? Now, hear, hear me you out. You don't know. It might not be. I could, hear me hey, out. If I'm full of crap, tell me. Kay is very yeah. innocent to the world of La Casa Nostra, you know, the Ooh, mom, right? I see, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. Kay yeah. is very innocent to this world. She doesn't know anything about it. He explains it to her at the wedding, um, you know, when he's like, oh, Luca Brazzi and him, when, when they're talking about Johnny Fontaine, Luca Brazzi gave him an offer he can't refuse, or my dad gave him an offer he can't refuse, basically put a gun to his head. That's them, not me. Kay's in innocent to this world. Whereas yeah. Apollonia, Apollonia, yeah. Yeah, Ap Apollonia. I keep me Appaloosa, the Vigo Mortensen movie, or the, was it a Vigo? Anyway, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. the cowboy movie. Apollonia yeah. is Italian, Sicilian. She knows about the mob. She's aware of the mob um, mm -hmm. and lives with it every day, I'm sure. Mm, okay, so that maybe it does fit into. So the he's he's free to be himself there. Mm, you know, he's walking yeah. with the two shotgun guys all the time, like, and then the the car and all that stuff. Uh, and, and you know that that my take on it would be that right. Okay. The K is K may be worldly and smart and brilliant and amazing, but she knows nothing of this world. Yeah, that's We're, a good that's a good observation actually. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, that does that does make sense. Uh, so 
this all came from that one scene where Michael comes in and has a phone call. <laughs> but what I wanted to mention about that scene, other than what I've already mentioned, is that Clemenza is making sauce and he talks about what's in the sauce. He says, uh, he explains how, hey, Michael, you might need to feed 20 guys. This is tomato sauce, sausages, meatballs, and then red wine. Red wine, yeah. Yeah, and in the director's commentary, Coppola says that he wanted, I'm not sure if he did it, but he said that he thought it would be a good idea in his movies to put a recipe somewhere in his movies so that if people didn't like the movie, they might like the recipe. So this is specifically his his place where he puts in a recipe in his movies. So definitely a significant food scene because it was thought of beforehand by Coppola. So as part of his legacy as a filmmaker to put a recipe in and he did it. And I'm going to stop there because okay. uh, instead of doing, you know, a dish like a lasagna or a, a veal parm or whatever, because there are a bunch of dishes in this movie, I'll give you my sauce recipe, which is very similar to what they do in this film. Um, and the interesting thing is he puts a little sugar in. Mm, you need yeah. that sugar. You have to understand balance of flavors is very important. Sugar and wine. Wine is very acidic. Tomatoes are very acidic. Uh, there's a, there's also with the beef, you're getting that savory, salty note. That sugar is is very important to a sauce. You don't overdo it, but you just it cuts through and it, it, it mellows things out. So I'll do a sauce recipe. I, I might mix it in with the lasagna because... There was a lasagna mentioned somewhere in this film. Um, but I'm going to do my my sauce recipe. Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy. I appreciate that. Jeremy's sauce is going to be in the show notes. The the Italian is it going what kind of, is it going to be a meat sauce? It's it a tomato, a... it's a tomato sauce. I'm not going to do it's a, a tomato sauce. I'm not going to do a meat okay. sauce. I'll do a tomato sauce. It's a little different, but um, oh, you, okay. you can you can adapt it to a meat sauce, but it's not a, a traditional uh, bolognese sauce. That's different. That's a whole different ballgame. Okay, so folks at home, you always want to have a red sauce in your pantry somewhere at all times, just in case you need it. You need to make a quick pasta. It works with everything. You can turn it into a meat sauce, turn it into a regular sauce, use for a lasagna. It's fantastic. And in my Godfather sandwich, I actually put sugar cubes in the uh, tomato sauce. So yeah. there you go. Gotta add sugar. It's important. Yeah. So at one hour into the film, Michael and Kay are finishing dinner. They're having a fancy restaurant dinner. Michael says, I have to go. He tells her that he doesn't want to get her involved. She asks him if she will see him again. He is non-committal committal, and tells her to go back to New Hampshire and call her parents. And then he will call her. So this is a breakup. And I think a very accurate way people probably did break up at the time. Breakups, when you're having a conversation like this, it's very rarely, I never want to see you again. It's, it's, it's more like a friendly, the way you break up with someone who you're friendly with, where you don't want to crush them, but you want to let them know that this is, we're going in different directions now. We'll still be friends or whatever. Yeah. But he does it over dinner. How do you feel about breaking up over dinner? What are your thoughts on that? Well, like taking them out or doing it over, like on the phone over dinner? No, no, no. They're in the restaurant. They're yeah, the no, fancy. no. The, 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 the check has come. No, like, I we're, get we're, that. I, yeah. I just, it's very Seinfeld. Like they, if you did mm. it, if you do it at the beginning of dinner, well, now you're just going to have a terrible dinner. You but can't do it at the beginning. No, no that's, no. A, that's a nightmare. But, no. um, and, and, and then it jumps back into like getting fired while, like if I break up with somebody and I'm eating, that's insensitive. Mm -hmm. So you got to do it at the end. 
you do it in person, and I don't even know if I want to do it at a dinner. It's very weird to do it at a dinner. That's a very, like, dinner is a date. It's a lot of pageantry for breaking up, I feel yeah. like. It's yeah. a whole thing. Like, a breakup should be very, it should be a conversation, probably maybe a little crying. Um, mm. I get the idea of, like, well, at least he or she got some food out of me. You know, they got one last meal. Um, yeah. It's like it's like breakup sex. Like, there's so many mixed messages. I don't, I don't, I'm not into it. Yourself? No, absolutely not. You, you just you just got to have a conversation. Uh, the weird, th- I don't want to get into whole breaking up because I've never found a good way to do it. No. They're always mad. They're always mad. Doesn't matter how you do it. They're always mad. Best way to do it is if, just let's say let's say, let's say you do it in person. They'll say, "I can't believe this guy actually took me out in person to break up with me." If you do it on the phone, I can't believe this guy broke up with me over the phone. Are you yeah. kidding me? Like it's always that. There's no good way to do it. There's no win. The best way to do it is just leave the country. For... Well, funny you mentioned that. I was reading Warren Beatty's uh, biography, and he never he he's known to have had sex with a lot of women, and he has never officially broken up with any of them. He would just kind of fade away. Yeah, the fade. And, and they would get the message. They would get the yeah. message, and then they would get so frustrated with him that they would just break up with him. And so he could just literally say, "Look, I didn't break up with any of these women. They broke up with me." But like this is a very passive aggressive way to do it, and I don't condone it in any way. But it does seem to work. So bold. That's a bold play. I don't know. Maybe it's the right way to go. It, it gives someone a little bit of agency in their own breakup. I think if if you just if you just kind of slowly remove yourself until they get frustrated and then they break up with you, it might be the way to go. It might be. I I, I don't know. I'm not going to give out relationship advice. I <laughs> I don't uh, I don't think uh, I probably not the. I'm not the best at breaking up with people. Fair enough. M- moving along. 102. This is one of the best uses of food as a plot point yeah. in any movie. Michael is going to visit Don Corleone, his father, in the hospital. He's looking around. He can sense something's wrong because no one is around. The, the, yeah. the information person's not around. He peeks into the security room. There is a half-eaten sandwich on the desk. And that tips him off immediately. Why is this sandwich half eaten? Why aren't there anyone else around? All these things make him suspicious. And it was because of him looking at that half eaten sandwich that he takes action, grabs his father, puts him in a different room, yeah. goes outside, grabs the, I believe, baker. The baker, who's yeah. coming to visit him. Yeah. And the two of them stand in front of the hospital and act like they're armed mafia guys to thwart the assassins who are coming by to kill his father. Great thinking on his feet by Michael. Great use of food as a plot point by Coppola. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the half-eaten sandwich in the hospital? I mean, nobody who has a sandwich, and if it's a good sandwich, I'm not not finishing that sandwich unless something's gone down. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the cops showing up to arrest me on a gun charge is something going down. So, I mean, perfect. Per, it's like the smoking gun or the, the still-lit cigarette or one of these, but... It's like the Italian still a cigarette. It's like the 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 deli sandwich that's been left half eaten is it's preposterous. I love it. It's perfect perfect plot point, perfect tell, something where he was just like, No, that's there's something amiss here. No one's not yeah. gonna finish their sandwich. I love it because you once you see a anytime you see a half eaten sandwich, there's something about it that throws you off, like, oh 
like you don't like it. Do you want to either see a completely a, a non-touch sandwich or no sandwich? Has seen something a half eaten really bothers you. I think no. just the visual of it. Yeah, you know? it's not right. You finish the sandwich. Yeah. So minute one eleven. <laughs> after Michael is beat up by the corrupt cop uh, McCluskey. Yeah. They're back at the homestead, and the brothers and the family are all discussing a truce with Salazzo. Uh, their father's almost been killed. They think that they, they believe things are getting out of hand. Sonny and Tom are arguing over what to do. And while they're arguing, Tom goes over and is about to fix himself a plate of food, but stops when Sonny gets really upset. So the fact that Tom stopped getting food at this point, we've already seen him remain cool under fire and eat when someone is yelling yeah. at him. He's about to do the same thing here, but the fact that he stops when Sonny gets really heated means that I think he re- this is a very important moment in both of his characters and as a plot point, that he stops going for the food. Well, remember, he's under pressure from this other guy who had pulled him aside when they tried to kill Don Corleone, right? In that old... Oh, yeah, Salazzo had, killed, so had kidnapped him to send a message. Yeah. yeah, so he's under a ton of pressure right now because he either has to make Michael and Sonny back off or figure out a way to kill Salazzo. Right. Yeah. So so he's 50 50. And thankfully, so so not eating in a grave situation because he's he's under a ton of pressure. Yeah, I think that's a great way of showing how much pressure he's under, because we just saw him eat a meal while getting yelled at by Waltz, the studio yeah. head, yeah. who he was not concerned about at all because Waltz isn't going to kill him. You know, that's, the, the stakes aren't that high. Yeah. So at, uh, oh, and this is a great scene for Michael where everyone's kind of discussing things and pacing around the room. And Michael is sitting in a chair calmly, like his father, the king. Yeah. He is being very kingly here. Yeah. He's got, he's very kind of methodically thinking it through. Calm. Not emotional. He's just like, well, like logically I should do it. And then Sonny gives the emotional response and he's like, yeah, but hear me out. We have people in the paper. We can do it this way. We can get it. You know, he he's playing chess while everyone else around him is playing checkers. Exactly. While everyone else is freaking out, he's getting calmer, which I like. Yeah, bold. It's this. It's decided. Michael has volunteered himself to murder Salazzo and the corrupt cop. Everyone's making fun of him because he's not supposed to be that guy. He's supposed to be the the younger brother who's going to be a legitimate person. He's not supposed to be a killer. Right. Minute one eighteen, they decide he's going to do but it. Which always, Sorry, which always messed with me for a second. He went to war. Yeah, he's probably killed a guy. Well, Sonny was making fun of him by saying, "This isn't like the Marines, where you're fifty feet away from a yeah, guy. If you're right. going to kill someone, you have to like really do it up close." Up close, yeah. personal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So uh, at one eighteen, Clemenza is showing Michael how to shoot a revolver, and the brothers and the rest of the associates. In what has become a cliche at this point, they're all sitting around at dinner eating a Chinese takeout. Yeah, and they have those boxes. I've never actually had Chinese takeout in one of those flip-up boxes. I've seen it as like a, like you go to a fancy Asian fusion restaurant, and they'll do the box as a shtick, and their Mm. take on, you know, Kung Pao chicken or whatever. Um, But I've never actually had takeout from one of those boxes. Have you? I don't th- I th- I'm pretty sure I have once or twice, but they've faded off into those styrofoam ones now, I believe. Yeah. They've yeah, probably the, gotten into something different by now. But. Or like uh, the cardboard flip-up. I, I, it, maybe it's an American thing. I don't know. But I've never had one of those flippy-uppy boxes. That's not 
wherever I order Chinese food from, uh, this is not for, never comes in those boxes. Yeah, I don't know. But the, the Chinese box takeout containers in the scene is a very clear signal that the, they these guys are working late night. Yeah. That's that's what those are there for. <laughs> that's what they've always been there for. They might only be used in movies. We we have no idea. Maybe yeah, maybe they're not a thing. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Um James Kahn though in the undershirt flashing some impressive Jewish shoulder hair. Yeah. Hair on the shoulder. Good, you know what I'm saying? Good Jewish shoulder hair. We're, we're we're a hairy people. So are we. So are my people. Yeah. So there you go. You know, for the most part. Yeah. And so from this scene, they plan to murder Salazzo and McCluskey in a restaurant. Yeah. Which... Because when you eat food, you drop your guard a little bit. Well played. Interesting mm-hmm. point is like very convenient though. Like a, like a very kind of almost like a logical fallacy. Oh, we got a guy there and it's going to be at this restaurant. Like they just kind of let, they, they glossed over that. And then, but then they even played on it a bit in the car later on. You'll see uh, when he's like, "Oh, we're going to Jersey," and then they try to lose the tail. Yeah, like it's a very because this is a very early mob movie. It's a very unsophisticated version of that to me. Like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the bait and switch, the rope a dope, whatever you want to call it. There, you know, he's not supposed to know it's in Jersey. Now I wonder if the the losing the tail thing was just to see if Michael caught on, but they didn't catch on. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't was, know. I didn't was, get that detail. No, I was just kind of weirded out by that. I was like, did we need all this at this point? You could have come in and said, it's going to be at this restaurant, set up the gun, and then they go, and then boom, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It did seem a bit unnecessary. I'm not sure, though. But we did mention before about breaking up with people in a restaurant. And I just realized now that the whole reason – the whole reason to break up with someone in a restaurant is so that they don't make a scene. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But, so I, but then if they do, so I, you're screwed. If they do, you're screwed. But I think this, the similar situation here was the murder. They feel like let's meet in a restaurant. He's not going to murder us in a restaurant. We're out in the middle of all these people. There's all yeah. these witnesses. Right. Yeah. So I think there's the illusion of safety that restaurants have both emotional when you're getting broken up with also physical. Someone's trying to murder you, you know? Yeah. Fair point. Yeah, however, this illusion of safety is broken at minute 126 when Michael grabs the revolver from behind the old school toilet Great. and murders McCluskey and Solazzo in a brutally effective way. Just with the practical effects and the blood and the weirdness and the subway sounds and everything. Beautifully designed violence. Great scene. Uh, McCluskey is eating veal, probably veal parm. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's an Italian restaurant, Italians do veal very, very well. I love veal, uh, baby cow. <laughs> um, so if uh, do you like baby veal? cow is delicious, by the way. You don't like you don't like steak, but do you like veal? Yeah. I love. I used to go to um, California sandwiches. Yeah, the veal, veal parm sandwiches. sandwich. Veal parm, yeah, hell of a sandwich. The greatest sandwich I've ever had is that veal parm sandwich. Hell of a sandwich. Shout out to California Sandwiches. Please pay us. Veal, what do you, what do you, how do you like your veal? Uh, I like it two ways. So I'll do it in a parm, like a veal parm. Always good. Like hammered very thin, breaded probably. That's one way to do it, tenderized. The other way is like a veal cutlet or steak, uh, mm. which is like a very, you have to really go rare with it. Otherwise it can get weird. Um, 
But if it's done right, it's spectacular. It's a different experience to eating beef. It's a more, it's more tender. It's, uh, for lack of a better term, it's succulent. Because um, mm. it's, it hasn't, it doesn't have that age, that sinew, all that stuff. It's a very kind of young meat. Um, Jesus. It sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. It sounds the, really bad. On the topic of grooming. Um, no, jeez. Oh, <laughs> no, it's just a very different way. Of, it's it's beef, but it's a different beef. It's, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the gristle to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. California sandwiches, by the way, in their veal sandwich, they put two uh, cutlets of two veal cutlets, on yeah. there. And they hammer that down because you can, if you cook veal badly, if it's not rare enough or it's not, you know, the perfect temperature, it can go from zero to tough as hell and terrible to eat very quick because there's low Dude, fat, low fat content. I used to work on College Street and it was walking distance to California sandwiches. I went there so much that the lady at the counter, I didn't have to tell her what I needed. She, uh, what I wanted, she would just knew. She just she knew. knew. Oh, just one. Yeah. She just knew. Yeah, she just knew. So sorry, I, 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 was, I, I don't yeah. mean low. Before I get commented on, I don't mean low fat content. It's got good fat content. Um, it's just a, it's not the age isn't there, right? Like it's a, just mm. a different tenderness to uh, to to like a steak of the same, like a ribeye of the same cut from an older cow is vastly different. Right. Uh, shout out to Veal. It's delicious. Baby cows. Let's go. Delicious. Um, minute 30. <laughs> after, Michael has, <laughs> after Michael has brutally murdered two men in cold blood. Great scene. There's a great great little montage scene where we cut to, uh, they're in this mattress factory and they're all kind of laying low. They're going to the mattresses. A, they're going to the mattresses. There's all the henchmen of the Corleone family around a table just eating the pasta. Yeah. Which I think is a nice callback. To when when uh, Clemenza said to Michael, "Hey, someday you might have to cook for twenty guys. There's twenty guys here eating pasta, so it's a representation of Michael foreshadowing he might have to be the head of the family. He might have to feed twenty guys. Yeah. And here's twenty guys eating after he he has gone through this spiritual transformation. He's not he's no longer a straight uh, member of society anymore. He's a legitimate member of society. He's committed murder. He's now in the family. Yeah. He's now in line for the throne." Things have changed now. Yeah. So as the dudes are all eating the pasta, there's a uh, an older man wearing a side holster playing a solemn tune on the piano. The man playing the tune is Francis Coppola's father. Yeah, really? Yeah. Cool fact. He he did a lot of the music for this movie, actually. So Really? So Co- like- yeah, his father did a lot of the movie. His his sister, Tally Shire, played Connie also. So right. there you go. In a very short scene, minute 136, the Corleone family, the, the family proper, the, the relatives only, they're eating dinner with their wives. Someone starts, Sonny starts to talk to, uh, Fredo starts to talk about something and Sonny says, we don't discuss business at dinner. Yeah. Nice touch there that they had. It, it looked like real food too that they were actually eating. So. Good separation of the family and the family, right? Right, right. And I think I should mention that uh, in the preparation for this film, Coppola had a set, arranged a dinner, an actual dinner for all the members of the Corleone, the, the, the actors who were playing the Corleone family. And he used it as an improvisational exercise where he said, okay, we're going to have dinner. All of you act like your characters. So Talia Shire, you know, she, at the time women would bring the food out. So she would kind of bring the food to everybody. 
Brando was sat at the head of the table, all of the brothers, and they all acted like their characters in this improvisation around the dinner table, an actual dinner. So I think the use of food in preparation to the movie played out nicely and having yeah. the actors achieve their characters. And also it was, it was a, a bit of a rehearsal for scenes like this where they actually are sitting around the dinner table. Right. Keep it natural. I mean, dinner is a big thing, right? That's when oh, yeah. everyone, Sunday dinner is huge. Yeah, Sunday dinner is big. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. So after Michael has murdered these two men, he's sent off to Italy to lay low. Minute 144, he speaking to a cafe, cafe owner about a young lady that he saw who was very beautiful. And the cafe owner is not having it. Yeah. He does not like what Michael is saying. No. <laughs> um, but then Michael wins him over with his charm, chivalry, and manners and his the way to properly kind of court a lady in Italy and in, I think, Mediterranean uh, European countries. So this is kind of how you do it. You go to the dad, you talk to him, yeah. you're very respectful. Old school, cafe, old world way of thinking, right? Exactly. And the cafe owner invites him, says, come to my house Sunday morning. Michael goes over to the cafe owner's beautiful house, though. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, man, I want this guy's life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And with the authenticity of uh, that Coppola was trying to achieve, you see, there's actual food. Like, there's there's plates full of. I believe is it bread? Do you know what that was? I couldn't. It looked like it. it looked like some sort of bread. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, okay. So, I don't know. I don't know if focaccia was big that back then. It is now, but some sort of some sort of oil based bread dipping. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, it was a great scene. It was. It was just. I love specificity like that like this is how you do it in italy this yeah. is how you court a lady in italy yeah. come over to our house on sunday this is god's day we're gonna go to church you know talk to all of our relatives before you talk to her yeah. we'll let you know if it's okay so that scene happens on the sunday morning the next day there's a great scene where michael and all of uh apollonia's relatives are all sitting at the ca- uh, at the cafe around the table having just an awesome meal and her father is just doing all the talking and yeah. michael is just soaking it up and they kind of makes eye contact with Apollonia and she touches her necklace that he brought her phenomenal scene of like bonding and families coming together over food. Very different from similar, but different from the dinner scene that we had just talked about uh, mm-hmm. with the, with the American family and how they eat. And then you get to see how the traditional Sicilian family eats their, eats their meals, which I thought was interesting. Nice kind of parallel, right? Yeah, and I did think that the the entire Italy segment felt like a Michael dream sequence. Yeah, it felt like this is a, he he's escaped prosecution from the police. He's laying low, but also he's escaped his life. It's yeah. like I'm not dealing with all these family problems, all these mob problems. I'm just going to go over here and completely remove myself from my life and live in this fantasy world, this this traditional Italian fantasy world for. I think it was a year he was gone for, possibly more. Oh, he's gone for more than a year, actually. He's gone for a couple of years. Yeah. They said it's going to be a year, but I think it dragged on. Yes. So, man. Yeah. Good. Good scene. Good scene in Italy. Pivotal scene here. Minute 155. Sorry. One hour, 55 minutes in. Connie, who is the sister of of, of, uh, Michael and Sonny and, and Fredo, She's in an abusive relationship with her husband, uh, Carlo. The fellow who was married to her at the beginning of the movie. Exactly. So the wedding where we saw these two, where we saw the union of these two people, Connie gets a phone call 
and it's from a woman who is saying it was clearly Carlo's mistress. Guma- She's upset about it. His gumara. His gumara. Yeah. That's a weird name for a mistress. It's kind of like That's what they call. They Not call in this movie, right? but in uh in every other mob thing, it's the gumara. Shout out to gumas out there. Gumaras, whatever you call them. Um you, you you're doing the Lord's work. God bless you. I don't think so. But uh, <laughs> Connie he gets this phone call. Carlo is about to go see his mistress, and Connie loses her S and starts throwing the dinner she has prepared all over the room. Mm. And uh, this scene and, and, and Connie's reaction to the phone call prompts Carlo, who we don't condone this, but it prompts him to take his belt off and start beating yeah. him out of her. So one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. She calls Sonny, and Sonny is not happy, obviously. But uh, that that will play out later. But have you ever thrown food in a rage like that? I think that really is show, expresses anger in a way that other things don't. When you break something or you throw food, you're really reverting to a childhood mentality at that point where you're oh, throwing it, a tantrum. Yeah, it's it's. It, I was about to say it's a tan. I want. I've never thrown food at somebody in a rage. I've punched a head of lettuce. Did you? Yeah, punched a head of lettuce clean across the room. It exploded. It was it was a good punch. It was a good like it was a right hook. Um, okay. But but um, yeah. Well, it should have been talking shit. Well, it was it was it was weird because the person whose lettuce I punched was egging me on whilst holding a head of a perfect head of lettuce. And it was just like, well, this is happening. Lettuce punch. Problem solved. Argument over. Once you punch a head of lettuce. Hmm. Argument you have the same over. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Actions have spoken. You've spoken. Yeah, I punched that lettuce. Damn right, Chad. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've punched a head of lettuce. Rocky th- punched a side of beef in Rocky, by the way. So yeah. Have you thrown food? I think probably in like the lunchroom when I was like a like a small kid at school, I probably threw something once or twice. Not often though. Like, like there's something about throwing food which is really disrespectful, which I don't think you should do. Yeah. Well, the other one is the drink. The, the drink, drink in the face. The drink in the face yeah. is usually that's predominantly between a lady and a man who the man's done something messed up in the uh, or or a man and a man if it's like hot coffee that you mm. see that in movies a lot uh, but yep. that that's cold blooded yeah I wouldn't there's there's I've often I've often yeah sorry I've often thought that if you haven't had a drink thrown in your face by a lady or been slapped in public by a lady are you really living your life are you really pushing the limits here yeah. I think there are probably situations in which. A drink should have been thrown in my face, but there was no there there were no drinks in the proximity, and then that's where the slap comes in. Though. Yeah, I know, but maybe I was maybe I was too far away for the slap. Like I would have seen it. Like you, you at some point you're telegraphing the slap. So yeah, I'm not sure. I've I don't think I've ever had a drink poured in my face. The maddest anyone's ever got at me is where they will just turn around and like storm off. Yeah, I've, I've had, had that, that happen a couple. I've times. had that. I've yeah. had that a few times, and and usually, if not all the time, every time it's happened, I was being a prick. Oh, every time, yeah, one hundred percent is your fault. My fault, your fault. It's our fault for sure. Yeah, the drink thrown in my face. I've never. I don't think I've ever had it. 
Well, I'll get my wife to do it. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Back to the back to back to the movie. So when 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 Connie Carl calls Sonny, and he comes over, he sees her bruised face. He goes off to find Carlo, beats the crap out of. Sorry, that was, that was previously. At this scene, Connie Carl calls him. He drives over there at the phone booth. Beats He's stopped, the gunned down by. Th- sorry, the beating was before. Right. This is the phone booth. Yeah. This is the phone booth murder, which is again iconic murder. But yeah. All sparked from Connie throwing the dinner all over the place because of what she heard in the phone calls. So, yeah. great use of food. It's a catalyst to one of the most violent murders uh, up until that point. What do you screen. What do you think is the bigger murder, this one or Corleone, Michael Corleone killing the two guys? This one. This one. The, the, this one. Every, everyone remembers this one. Yeah. Everyone really remembers this one. Um, the other one, I think, is more mature and cooler but this one just from a very kind of like childlike ape-like mind we just remember it because it's a dude just spinning all over the place getting riddled uh, with bullets it's right? a crazy uh, yeah it's a crazy scene Vi- one of the, those... visu- the visual is hard to forget yeah, yeah it's a hard violent scene and fun fact uh coppola felt like he there was talk in the, on the set that they were going to bring in an action director to direct some of the action scenes and Coppola felt threatened by that. There had been all kinds of talk he was getting replaced. So he shot the scene where Talia Shire starts throwing stuff all over the place. He shot that when he found out that they were contemplating sending an action director there. And he says, this is what you do if you think they're sending an action director to shoot action scenes. You shoot a scene like this yeah, to show them that you can handle it. So you, on set and off set, or like on screen and off screen, that food throwing scene was a catalyst for that violence. scene. It's a very important scene. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when James Conn was being rigged up with all those squibs, the stunt guy says that he's pretty sure this is the most squibs he's ever put on a person. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a lot of squibs. Yeah. Anyway, James Conn gets it real bad. One of, uh, 160 or 106? No, sorry. Uh, one hour and 56 minutes in, Don Carleone invites all of the bosses. Enough is enough, guys. We can talk this over. Can we do that, please? We're men. We're grown. And they sit around drinking wine and eating grapes. Seems very Roman to me. Very I don't know Roman. if that's true or not. Yeah. Yeah, it seems very Roman. But it's also like eating chicken with eggs. Mm, you know what I mean? That's like, true. It's yeah. like, I'm having the grapes, I'm having the wine. I need some cheese in there. You know, give me give yeah. me something. Give me some cured meats. Let's do something here, guys. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. But uh, he manages to hold them off through diplomacy. Yeah. Two hours, 20 minutes in, Michael goes to Vegas to visit Mo Green, who is a uh, kind of corrupt casino owner. Fredo's already been there for a while, trying yeah. to do business with Mo Green and set things up. Fredo brings him into the hotel suite. There's girls there. There's a di- they're all sitting around a dining table, beautifully set up. Food has not been served yet, but is about to be served. And it just shows how the kind of person Fredo is, he's a party boy. Yeah, and he's showing this, and he's and he's introducing us to him. He's introducing Michael to him. He's showing us this is what I do. Michael shows up, everyone out, everything stops. We're here to do business. Fun's over. Body party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegas, so, yeah. Vegas is weird because Vegas was kind of born from the mafia in a lot of ways, the flamingo, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it it's still to this day. I don't know. It's less mob now, more corporate interest, but still to this day has that lawless what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality that uh, 
you know, Nevada is just an interesting state in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mob really kind of took off there. It, it, and so this is just representing that. And you see that in the movie Casino and, 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 and other, other stuff like that. But this is kind of the rise of Vegas, the building up of Vegas, uh, which is uh, very interesting. Man, can you imagine being in and around Vegas at this time, which is filled with just the craziest street characters, the most, you know, any any dude who was from the streets who had enough intelligence to rise up yeah. was in Vegas. So you got these incredibly smart, but also very ruthless and cunning guys. They yeah. saw the money. They saw the money and they went for it. Guys like, uh, yeah. I believe Mickey Cohen was out there for a while. Like a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the mobsters... Kind of got sent there uh, throughout their career, so very very interesting. Two twenty seven, Michael and his father are in the backyard talking strategy. Great scene, great father son scene. Yeah. Very much like I'm the king, you're the prince. I'm bringing you in. I'm I'm training you how to take my place. Don Vito Corleone eats some nuts and drinks some red wine, and he says, "I like to drink wine more than I used to. Anyway, I'm drinking more." great great just like throwaway line but yeah. it's like yeah you know it's like i'm getting older this is what i do now it's it's it was kind of sad and kind of solemn you know i, I really i thought it was interesting very poetic yeah, it was a nice scene between them wine is kind of a food staple wine is a food group in italy um mm-hmm. it's big with with any meal um, there's always wine kids drink wine everyone drinks wine in italy so it makes yeah. sense, and that kind of carried over into the New World um, and why you get people growing their own wine in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, 2.31. Again, Don Vito, he's in the backyard, and like most Italians, they have like a vegetable garden-type setup, and he's having fun with his little grand- grandchild running around. It's a great scene, by the Beautiful way. Beautiful scene. Kid, I don't, the kid's not acting. The kid's just being a kid. Yeah. And Brando is kind of improving with him and playing games with them. Yeah. And at a certain point, Brando, in one of the great bookending food scenes of this movie or any movie, takes an orange and does that thing where you cut it and you put it into your gums. But he, he cuts fangs into it like a vampire yeah. to scare the child. You know. So we saw the oranges in the early scene where he almost died in the murder scene. The oranges spill into the street. And this is the scene where it's a very quiet scene, but he takes the orange and puts it into his mouth to play with his grandchild. And that's the scene where he actually dies. It's and, another orange and, scene. And don't forget the early wedding orange representing, yeah. you know, the, the grip on yeah. the world. Someone's holding the orange. The oranges fall. The orange is in his mouth and is transformed into a monster. I don't know. Maybe that's symbolic of something. The, the orange is definitely something throughout that's a plot tie and a bookend and, and food. It's a food motif with him, definitely. Specifically, it represents his character, I think. And that's the last food scene in the movie, people. It's and that was dies. it. Don Corleone dies. And that yeah. was it. So so uh, we, we, there's oranges, important kind of food mnemonic there. Uh, what's mm-hmm. your, let's go to, let's we cut to awards here. What's sure. your favorite food scene? Favorite suits food scene has got to be Coppola's recipe Easter egg with uh, with Clemenza making the sauce and telling Michael, "Hey Michael, you might have to feed twenty guys one day. It's what you do." The the Francis Ford Coppola uh, Easter egg sauce from Clemenza is my food scene. 
All right. I'm Corleone. I'm going basic with this one. Veal parm, whatever that was that the cop was eating. The shootout scene. That's just okay. a great food scene. It's it's for me. It's one of the most you know between that and when Sonny gets it, it's just one of the most memorable scenes of violence in the film. But it's in one of these New York Little Italy restaurants. It's a very famous. There's a lot of mobsters in in history that have been killed in restaurants. You know Dutch Schultz, uh, some of the other guys. Uh, been shot in restaurants in either Little Italy or around New York. So it's kind of an iconic scene to me. Um, and a, a great whacking, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't mean that sexually. No, not, not in a murderous uh, way. Sorry. Whacking. If you, yeah. hold, if you hold the H, it's it's not sexual? It, well, it sounds classier, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a hard H. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to our second food award, who in this movie would you like to sit down and have dinner with, Jerry? A lot of candidates. I know it's got to be, it's got to be Vito. Get the Vito part. Yeah, why not? And I think I went here before. Maybe I should switch it up. Yeah, no, I went with. There, there's a thing with me. I guess I I like powerful men. Um, Because in Goodfellas, are you looking for a father figure, Jerry? Yeah, maybe. In Goodfellas, it was, uh, what's his name there? It was Paulie. Paulie, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think just to learn, you know, the, yeah. the guy seems like a fountain of knowledge. Uh, also, it's Marlon Brando, so that would be cool. Yeah, how about you? Who you got? Well, well I, I thought about that, and I must say, I think there's a fatal flaw with both taking Paulie or uh, Don Vito out to dinner because these guys are not going to tell you anything. It's true. They're not going to incriminate themselves. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, they barely talk as it is. Why would they just spill the beans? Like they're not going to tell you anything, Jerry. It's good. You know what? The most you the most you can get is like their energy to try to communicate with their energy. I'm changing it. Luca Brazzi. Luca Brazzi. Because I bet that guy eats well. He looks like he. Eats he well. looks like he knows his food, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I check calling an audible. Luca Brasi. Right. Okay. Uh, I got to go with Mo Green, who was the, <laughs> the, the casino yeah, the guy cas- in Vegas. It's got to be a good buffet, right? I guarantee you he eats well. Yeah. I guarantee you he likes to act like a big shot, so he wants to impress me. Yeah. And I know he likes to talk. He wants to brag about the things he's done and he's doing. Bold. He will spill the beans on himself. He will snitch on himself. Yeah. I want to go with Mo Green. Yeah. Just to get to, you, you want to just get some incriminating information. No, I just want to know information. Like, tell me the ins- the the workings of the casino. Like, tell me the inside information because, like, I I might you know get into the business myself. You know? So, Mo Green is definitely going to talk your ear off. So I'll take Mo Green. All right, all right, all right. So, what what are we rating this film as a food movie and as a yeah. movie movie? Well, movie movie, you got to go five out of five um, uh, cannolis. Cannolis, I think. all right. Five out of five cannolis is a movie. Movie, movie. As a food movie, I gotta go three out of five football sandwiches. Okay, sorry, my dog's going nuts in the background. Um, I've got. He didn't like the. He didn't like my. No, he didn't like my picks. There. But I'm. I'm actually playing close to you in this. As a movie, movie, this is five out of five O's. And oh. <laughs> and as a food movie, 
This is probably a four out of five gabagools. Oh, four to five. Yeah. Four to, I what was your ratatouille? I think your ratatouille was four to five as well. Maybe, yeah. But this one, I, I liked the food in it. I liked that it wasn't, it carried the plot, but they didn't go so deep into it. Like they didn't, sometimes there were things that I didn't know about. I'm always finding food things in this movie that I don't understand. Like that liqueur I thought was just buka, right? Like mm-hmm. I, now I'm going to go research whatever the heck that was because I want to know. Yeah, it's an interesting food movie. Although the food is not in your face, it's not the dominant. You know, in, in Goodfellas, we got that there's some very iconic food scenes. The food doesn't drive the scene in this movie, but the food is there. The food, I mean, specifically with the oranges, um, there's food to it because you wouldn't have an Italian movie with a Italian food. Which was the whole point of making this, which was the fatal flaw in their other mob movies. They were not, not Italian enough. And so yeah. they corrected that mistake beautifully with the food and other things. It brings such a level of authenticity to this film that uh, you can't deny. It's an undeniable food movie, uh, but it's a very subtle food movie. Subtle food movie. One of the most iconic, best movies ever made and one of the most influential movies ever made. I'm pretty sure every filmmaker has this as one of their influential films. Yeah. Uh, and it has to be, right? Watch any mob movie and tell me there's not influence from this film. You know, there's any, most mob movies have some, have borrowed something from this film, whether it's the part in Vegas, whether it's the part in Sicily, whether it's the food cooking or the, the people sitting around doing this, that, and the other eating food. There are elements from every mob movie that spur from this movie and this movie borrows from older mob movies as well in a lot of ways but it did kind of break the mold it kind of created its own thing so shout out to everyone involved in this movie Love uh, it. final thoughts chair anything uh no that i think that was my final thought <laughs> how about you that uh no i think we've i think we've said everything we need to say we've um, we've, we've beat this dead horse cut off its head and thrown it in a bed now we're eating some Chinese food. We're about to stay whack up, somebody. Stay up late. Whack somebody. Whack. Uh, what are we? What are we? Somebody. What are we doing next? We're going back to uh, a, a favorite director, are we not? I don't remember. What did we agree on? Little Tarantino flick, did we not? Right. Yes, we are doing um, Inglorious. Inglorious. <laughs> Inglorious bastards. Don't demonetize us. Um, we yep. we wanted to do this movie, some interesting food scenes in this movie. Uh, I know we've done a Tarantino movie, just like we've done a mob movie, but uh, we just can't help ourselves. We're self-indulgent pricks, and that's how it is. We enjoy movies. We enjoy food. We enjoy self-indulgence and indulgences of all kinds, frankly. There it is. So... Anyway, this has been the Food Movies Podcast. Uh, give us a like, give us a, a subscribe, watch us on TikTok, watch us on YouTube, or don't. And just enjoy your miserable goddamn lives. Yeah, that. just anyway, just don't. Yeah. Anyway, have a good day, everybody. <laughs>